Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to be doing Lesson 12. Last lesson we talked about the Passover. We talked about how that the Egyptians drove them out from Egypt. Today we're going to be talking about the victory at the Red Sea and possibly even getting into Mount Sinai if we can get that far. Before we begin, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be able to study the Word of God. Speak to us today. Give us understanding and revelation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to begin reading at the book of Exodus, chapter number 14. So basically, after Pharaoh drove them out from the land of Egypt, then uh, they began to discover how much they had learned to depend upon the Israelites. And so they changed their mind, and they decided to pursue after Israel to get them and to bring them back. God put it in their heart to do this, because he wanted to give the Israelites complete and total victory over the Egyptians. And so... The Egyptians began pursuing them, and I'm going to pick up reading with the book of Exodus, chapter number 14, uh, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Piharoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." Now, this is hilarious because God has already shown them his miraculous power over and over and over again. And it's easy for us to sit back and judge the Israelites in this case. But look at your own life. How many times has God come through for you? How many times have you experienced the miraculous power of God? Have you ever been healed in your body? Has God saved your soul? Has God ever fed you? Um, Has there ever been a time when you didn't know how you're going to pay your bills and some kind of miraculous provision came through? Probably so. If you've been serving the Lord for any amount of time or if you just started that journey, you could probably at least look back over your life and see when God has come through for you multiple times. And yet, when we face a new dilemma and a new problem, that problem always seems to be the insurmountable problem. Uh, But look back over your shoulder and look at what God's done for you before and use that as an opportunity to build your faith for the present moment. And so the children of Israel should have done this, but instead 
they're going to be very fickle people. And God's going to get frustrated with them again and again and again because every time they face a new problem or a new dilemma, they complain against God. Their first inclination is not to ask God for help. It's to complain. Okay, And, and a lot of times we struggle with the same thing. Verse 13 says this, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Let me just say that the most miraculous uh, uh, instances where God is going to use his power is when you feel... Uh, the most hopeless, when you feel totally in despair, when it's out of your hands, is when God's about to do something miraculous. And you can't have a miracle if you don't first have a dilemma, if you don't first have a problem. And a lot of times we ask God, God, I want to see a miracle. I want to see a miracle. I thought about this the other day because my son said, Dad, I want to see a miracle. I said, well, pray and God will show you a miracle. So I walked him through a little prayer. But the thought hit me, uh, if he's going to see a miracle, he's first got to see a problem. I'm reminded of the story of the man that came to Jesus one day in the New Testament, and he asked him to come and lay his hands upon, I believe it was his daughter, uh, that she would be healed because she was sick. But on the way, they said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. But Jesus said, don't fear. Have faith in God. And he went in and resurrected her from the dead. Now, there was an interruption while he was on his way to her house because the uh, woman with the issue of blood came and touched his garment and he healed her and he took time out to heal her. But I'm sure the man was thinking, come on, Jesus, hurry up. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. Get involved in my situation. And sometimes we can wonder, why is it that God seems to be taking his sweet, precious time in this? But a lot of times, God, uh, it's a matter of he's wanting to do the greater miracle. If God had hurried to this girl's house and healed her while she was only sick, the miracle would not have been as great. Uh, I preached a message one time called God Loves to Raise the Dead. You look at how many times God raised the dead. It was the greater miracle for him to raise the dead in this instance. It testified of God's miraculous power much more than if he had just been able to heal her when she was sick. Because just healing somebody that's sick can be explained away by doctors. They could say, well, you know, she just got better. And it just happened to be that the teacher prayed for her at the moment she got better. That's just a coincidence. But when somebody is raised from the dead, that cannot be explained by anything but by the miraculous power of God. And so in this case, Israel's back is against the wall. They can't get out of this situation on their own. And uh, what Moses said is he said, you just stand still. But he said two things. He, first he said, fear ye not. And then he said, stand still. Can I just say to somebody today that if you're facing an insurmountable problem, number one, stop being afraid. The Bible says in the book of First, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter one and verse number seven, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. He's given you a sound mind. In other words, that word means self-control. He's given you self-control. Don't be afraid. Fear's never helped anybody. Uh, one man said it this way: We have nothing to fear but fear itself, and it's true, because fear will cause you to act irrationally. Fear will cause you to make rash decisions and to make stupid decisions because you're afraid. Uh, they've done studies of, on this, of course, and, and I'm not an expert in this field, but uh, if you're afraid, you're more likely to do things you wouldn't normally do. So, number one, he said, fear ye not. Stop being afraid. 
Secondly, he's told them to stand still. Now, this is the real challenge. Because when you're facing an insurmountable problem, the last thing you want to do is to stand still. When you see chaos all around you, the first thing you want to do is run away. Or maybe your next inclination is, if you can't get away, well, I guess I'll just fight to the death. But a lot of times, in these instances, God's going to say, hey, just stand still and let me do the work. And that's the real challenge. So he told them, stand still. Then he says in verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. But only if you hold your peace will the Lord fight for you. That's what he's saying. You've got to stand still in order to let God do it. When it gets out of our control, it's in God's hands. You've got to stand still and stop trying to handle the problem because you're going to make a bigger mess out of it if you keep trying to work them to 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 work uh, your way out of the problem. Just let the problem be in the hands of God, and He'll take care of it. Then He says this, verse fifteen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak thou unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Now there's a little subtle point to be made here. Apparently, uh, the people weren't the only ones afraid. Maybe it was the pressure being put on him by the people, probably so, that caused Moses even to cry out to God. And God told him, hey, Moses, stop crying out to me. Just speak to the people and tell them to go forward. And I like this because there's a point to be made here. You ever heard the phrase, just keep on walking? Just keep walking. I remember the story of a man by the name, I want to say his name was Dan O'Leary. I read a book. He's a uh, motivational speaker. He had a terrible accident that took place where his entire body was burned. As a child, he was playing with flammable material, uh, gasoline, and I can't remember what it was, but basically he'd seen some friends pour gasoline on something and uh, on fire, and he had watched the fire explode, and he thought it was cool. Well, when he did it, uh, it literally blew his body uh, through the garage, and his entire body was on fire. And... Thankfully, it was snowing that day, and his brother jumped on him and rolled him around in the snow. But by that point, his body was severely burdened, and it did not look like he'd survive the night. And so uh, they came, and they picked him up, and his mother went out to the hospital, and they told him, you're going to be an invalid for the rest of your life. There was all the skin grafting and all kinds of other stuff that was going on, and they said, you're going to be an invalid for the, for the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to walk. You're not going to be able to feed yourself. You're going to be an invalid. And he mentioned the fact that... Um, he had several people that came during that time to visit him, but one of the ones that came to visit him was uh, a physical therapist, and he said it was a very large gentleman that would come in, and he said during that season when he was going through physical therapy, he said this man would physically reach down and pick him up, and he said my body would hang limply, and he would say, boy, you're going to walk again. And he said every day he'd do it, boy, you're going to walk again. And he said he would force him to stand up and little by little he would guide his feet and at first he had to carry him and as the days went along uh, he was able to take a few steps on his own and then a few more steps and then a few more steps but that's what he would say every day boy you're gonna walk again you're gonna walk again and can I just say this that a lot of times when you think you can't move forward uh, that's when the miraculous power of God intervenes and God just tells you, go forward. And you say, well, God, I can't move forward. But he says, lean on me. Let me help you. Uh, there's the old adage, and it's been overused probably, but uh, there's a story that goes something along the lines of a man wrote a poem where he was trying to uh, walk in snow, 
Um, and he said, God, I thought I was alone. I looked behind me and I saw these, I saw only one set of footprints. And he said, God, I thought you were supposed to be with me. What's going on here? And the Lord spoke to him basically and said that, son, the one set of footprints is mine. I was carrying you, in other words. And I didn't really do that story justice. But if you look back over your life and you look at times where you made it through difficult seasons, you might be surprised if you look close enough because you'll find out that there are times that the Lord carried you along. You thought you were making it through by your own strength, but God was carrying you. And he may have spared your life. And so here, God is telling them, just speak to them to go forward. That's all I'm telling them to do. I'm not telling them to do anything miraculous. I'll take care of the miraculous. Just speak to them to go forward. Then he says this, but lift up thy rod. Okay, remember that same rod I mentioned in a previous lesson, talking about at the burning bush, where one of the greatest signs was um, for Moses to take that rod and throw it down. And it turned into a serpent. But he said, if you just take what's in your hand and throw it down and give it to me, I can do something miraculous with it. And that rod was just a shepherd's rod. It was nothing miraculous about it. But God's telling you today that if you give your little bit of ability to him, you may say, well, I don't have much. It's kind of like that boy that had just uh, five loaves and two small fish. Well, God, I don't have much. How can this feed so many? But if you just put it into the hands of Jesus and watch him break it and bless it, uh, God can cause it to feed many. Give your little bit of ability to God, and God can cause it to grow. He says, but lift up thy rod. This is verse 16 of Exodus chapter number 14. And I need to hurry through this lesson because I'm getting distracted here today. But it says, uh, and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave them light by night to these. Uh, to these, so that the one came not near the other at night. Uh, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now let me stop here long enough to say this quickly, that notice it said that the angel of the Lord left them and went behind them, uh, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. Let me just say this, that a lot of times um, God's provision may not come in a way that's obvious to you. And you may think, well, where is God at in my situation? Well, God may be active in your situation, uh, but maybe you can't see it. But here... God was active in their situation. He was actually holding the Egyptians back. That All they could do is they could look behind them and they could see, you know, the Egyptians are pursuing us. They're pursuing us. But they didn't realize God's holding them back. He's not going to let them catch up to them. And so let me just say this, that a lot of times you may not think God is active, but uh, God may be sparing you from things you don't even realize. God may have saved your life from a car wreck today. God may have, you know, that little uh, errand that you had to run today and you had a delay and something happened that was so frustrating. God may have kept you back from a severe car wreck. God may have kept you back from something else. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor that said that uh, he one day was went up to the church to work and as he was on his way home, 
he said, for some reason, I ran a total blank in my mind and could not remember how to get home. And he said, it was the oddest thing. And uh, he said, I, I, was, I was, kept trying to get home and kept trying to get home. And he said, I could not remember how to get home. And he said, uh, it delayed me for a long time. And I got so frustrated and I thought, God, I am losing my mind. What's going on here? I'm going insane. What he did not realize, though, was at the moment that he was driving home, somebody was breaking into his house. And uh, they were stealing a lot of the stuff that he had. And he said, with my impulsive nature, if I had rushed into that house, I probably would have ran in like a madman and they probably would have shot and killed me. He said at that moment, though, that he was uh, trying to find his way home and couldn't find his way home, that there were some women in the church that uh, one woman in particular that was a prayer warrior called several other women and they said, God just spoke to me and said, our pastor's about to be murdered. We need to start praying. Can I just say today that God sometimes may be in things you think are just mundane and typical and everyday activities. God may be in it. God may be sparing you from something. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded again of uh, something else that happened to me personally. We were on our way one time to Texas for my wife's grandmother's funeral. And when we were on our way, it was late at night and I was getting, you know, at, at first I felt really good and we wanted to make it as far as Texarkana. We had already reserved a room through Priceline uh, to stay there the night. And if you know anything about Priceline is once you've reserved it, you cannot get a refund. So we were trying to make it as far as Texarkana. It was very late at night. I want to say it was about midnight, somewhere around there. And all of a sudden, we're on the road. There's hardly anybody on the road. And I look in my rearview mirror and this truck is coming at no less than 100 miles per hour behind us, heading straight for us. And I realize he's not moving. He's not swerving. Uh, he's going to kill us. And I believe he was drunk. And he got inches from our bumper. My wife can testify to this. And I screamed, Jesus! And he swerved at the last second, probably missed us by inches, went almost into the guardrail, and then I hit my brakes on the highway and heard a loud crash up ahead of us uh, as he passed us. And I heard this loud crash, and there was a vehicle that was turned on its head. And when we pulled up, there were several people that had stopped to help them, but that vehicle was turned on its head. And... Uh, that night, I tried to make it a little bit further, but could not. And so I was, um, uh, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I was going to try to make it as far as Texarkana, but I, I just can't. I'm too tired. And, and I literally felt like my body was seizing up. So, you know, we'd lost the money on Priceline, but we found another hotel to stay in that was a little bit closer. So we didn't have to make it quite as far. And um, when we did that, uh, the next morning we read on the news that there were several fatalities on the road that night in that same region, that same area. So let me just say there's a lot of times you may not see God, God's hand in a situation, but I assure you, God is a lot of times he's in that thing that seems mundane. It seems typical. Just learn to trust God. Don't get frustrated with the little, the little things in life that tend to frustrate you because God may be sparing your life from something. Okay, let's move forward. Uh, I'm sorry I'm taking so long on some of these little points, but I told God this morning as I was praying, Lord, I want to be led of the Holy Ghost. And so as he drops things into my mind, I'm just trying to, to, to mention them. Maybe it'll be a blessing to somebody today. Uh, let's go down to Exodus chapter number 14 and let's go to verse number 24. Or verse 23, sorry. And the Egyptians pursued... Uh, let's go, I'm sorry, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea 
uh, dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the, in the midst of the sea, and, uh, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass... Uh, in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels and they uh, drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea and the waters, uh, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as any one of them. Now, I do want to stop here long enough to mention this is a beautiful type of water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And you may say, how is that? Okay, remember, I mentioned in a previous lesson, Egypt is a type of the world. Okay, that means Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Egypt is a type of the world. Uh, Egypt was a rough taskmaster. Sin is a rough taskmaster. The world is a rough taskmaster. The devil is the god of this world, or the god of this age. He's driving the fads. He's driving the attitudes of the world. That's why our world has become so wicked. That's why it's turning more and more away from God. He's driving it. Okay, So uh, Satan's the god of this world, just like Pharaoh was the god of Egypt. Um, small g, of course. And uh, Egypt being a type of the world, they're pursuing Israel. God has delivered Israel by a miraculous deliverance. And they're pursuing Israel as far as the Red Sea. What is the color of blood? It's red. Remember I mentioned in the lesson on the Passover that that was a type of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to a life. Okay. Remember how I said you apply the blood of Jesus Christ. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. Remember because Jesus said his blood is given for the remission of sins. You can read that in the book of Matthew chapter 26. You can also read in Acts uh, uh, 2.38 that we're baptized for the remission of sins. So obviously the blood of Jesus Christ is applied throughout that process of repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Okay, but water baptism in Jesus' name is we're being buried with him in baptism. So when the Egypt, the world, pursues Israel, a type of the church, obviously. We're, we're the new Israel. We're a type of the church. And so we come in, uh, we come before those waters, the Red Sea, red. Red's the color of blood. Sea, water, baptism, okay? And if uh, baptism's how you know, the, the blood is applied to a life. You're baptized in Jesus' name. You're applying his blood to your life. You're taking on his name. And so they walk in and they are able to walk through the Red Sea. But when sin, when the world tries to pursue them into the Red Sea, they're drowned. And there's a verse in here where God says, The Egyptians you now see, you shall see them no more again forever. That's the same thing that takes place in water baptism. You never again have to look at your sin uh, does that mean that your sin nature is gone? No, you're still going to struggle with that sinful nature, but you don't ever have to look at that again because uh, God will give you complete and total deliverance over your past. It's all washed away. Your slate is clean, and that's sins you won't have to face God for in judgment because his blood covers it. The Red Sea, the blood of Jesus covers, and it says that they drown the Egyptians uh, in that Red Sea. Uh, God did, and they were able to look down, and, and they saw some of their dead bodies float to the shore. And can I just say that if you're struggling with a guilty conscience, um, 
and but you have been baptized in Jesus name maybe what you need to do is go back to those waters and look again and remember that uh, they're in the sea of forgetfulness all of your sins all of your shame now listen you might say well what if I sin again do I have to go back and be baptized in Jesus name again no of all the records we have of baptism in the Bible it was only done once uh, the only exception is Acts 19, but they were baptized by John the Baptist. They needed to be baptized again in Jesus' name. But people that were baptized in Jesus' name were only baptized once. There's no scriptural support for being baptized again and again and again. You don't have to go back and be baptized again. Why? Here's the reason. This is the reason, okay? The reason is when you're baptized for the remission of sins, that means past, present, and future. Every sin you have committed in the past Every sin, uh, even in this present moment that might be in your life, and every sin in the future, God washes it all away. The slate is clean. Now, does that give you an excuse to sin? Absolutely not. What happens is, after you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you, you do need to repent over those sins. And the Bible tells us at that point, now, John was writing to the church when he said this in the book of 1 John chapter 1, and verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, he was writing to people that had already been baptized in Jesus' name. And he said, uh, for the people that have already been baptized in Jesus' name, you just need to confess your sins to God. You need to repent of them. You need to turn away from them. And God will forgive you and he'll wash them away because he remembers the waters of baptism. And Israel came across the Red Sea, and they would never have to face those same Egyptians again. God, in one day, wiped out an entire Egyptian army, an entire Egyptian government. Uh, did that mean that Egypt was wiped out of existence? No. Obviously, they had family members at home. Uh, there were people that stayed home. Their children stayed home. But, uh, but God forever took care of the Egypt problem. Let me tell you here today, God can forever take care of the problem you have in your past and the sins that you committed. But if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to have to stand before God on your own merit and try to say that your works are good enough to get you into heaven. And the Bible says none of us can be saved by our works. Okay, so this day, uh, let me just end by making a few brief statements about some of their history. And I'm going to cover a lot of their history here in just a few short moments. Uh, but I want to end this lesson by this. So what happens is they come across this mighty deliverance. The next chapter, they sing of the glory of God. Miriam gets, uh, which is Moses' uh, 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 sister, she gets out a... a, 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 a a musical instrument and begins to praise the Lord with this musical instrument uh, kind of like a tambourine and they dance and they shout and they sing and they're rejoicing but then in the next chapter now remember how I said it's funny how we can thank God for his miraculous deliverance but we can forget so quickly about what God's done for us when we face a new problem well um, the next part of that tells us that they uh, that they came to waters of Mara. Well, the word Mara means bitter. And they come to these waters and they're thirsty and they're tired and they go to drink and the waters are bitter and they can't drink from them. And God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, uh, now they started complaining, but God spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, just cut down part of a tree, throw it into the water. And so he does this. And when he does it, uh, the bitter waters became sweet. Let me just tell you, this is a beautiful type of Calvary because your life may be bitter today. But Jesus died to make your bitter life sweet. And cross is just a type of tree. It's just, it's, it's, Bible talks about him dying on a tree. And so they took um, 
that bitter that that bitter water and they took a tree and they put it into the bitter water and it became sweet let me just tell you the cross can make your bitter life sweet okay enough on that point uh, then what the funny thing is they were complaining about the waters of Mara but watch this if they had just held on a little bit more then they would have had no reason to complain because the next verse that, that I read that uh, in, in previous verses here, verse 23, you can read about the waters of Marah. But then verse 27 of Exodus chapter 15, it says this, And they came to Elam where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and then camped there by the waters. That's hilarious because they had just been complaining. Well, God, where are you at in our situation? Where are you at? Well, you know, if they would have just held on a little bit longer, there, were, uh, there was a place where there were twelve wells of water. So be careful not to complain too quickly. You might be right on the verge of your miracle. And I preach to myself today because I face discouragement a lot of times in life. And I do have the tendency sometimes, I'm being honest here today, to face uh, negativity, to be negative. But, um, you know, a lot of times I've noticed that when I complain the most is when I was right on the verge of a miracle. Okay, and then you can read in chapter number 16 about them taking their journey. Uh, and again, I'm going to take a lot of things and, and kind of shove it into just a few moments here. Um, you can read in chapter 17 how that the people complained because they had no water. God told Moses, uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it uh, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now there's so many things here. Um, the Bible says this rock was Christ. I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4. Let's read this quickly. Um, and again, remember typology. I mentioned the fact that Jesus is not only mentioned in prophecy, he's also mentioned in typology. Okay, um, And this is what it says. Uh, uh, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant uh, how that all our fathers passed uh, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses into the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so this is important. Let's go back and read this again then. So the Lord speaks to him and tells him to go before the elders of Israel uh, to take the rod in his hand. And it says, Behold, I will stand before thee. This is verse 6 of Exodus chapter 17. Follow along in your Bibles, please. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the children of the uh, because of the uh, chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Okay, so um, it says he, he goes and he smites the rock and uh, water flows out of it. And this is a beautiful type of Jesus Christ because he was smitten for our transgressions. Read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That scripture is so powerful talking about Jesus Christ. Let me just use an illustration. Uh, there's a man by the name of Dr. Michael Brown who is a, um, he's a charismatic uh, Pentecostal, but he, he, 
you know, I don't agree with him on everything, but he is a Messianic Jew, at least not, that may be the wrong term, but basically uh, a man uh, that is a Jew that is a Christian, um, and at least in, in the certain sense of the word. Anyways, he, he t mentioned the fact that he has made a lifetime out of studying the Old Testament and the New Testament and applying the Old Testament prophecies to Jesus Christ, and he can present irrefutable arguments. He's destroyed many uh, uh, rabbis in debate that are trying to prove that Jesus is not the Christ, and he always wins those debates. I've listened to many of them. He's always won the debates. And he told us uh, uh, about a man that he was trying to witness to, uh, a Jew that was well, uh, very studious, and he knew his Old Testament scriptures, and he said he took him to Isaiah chapter 53, and he said, well, let's just read this. Uh, and he said he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our next. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we were healed. Um, all we have, like sheep, have gone astray. And and he read that whole passage and he said, "Who is that talking about?" And he said the man got angry and and uh, please don't judge me for what I'm about to say, but this is what the man said. He said, "Jesus Christ." And he said the man got angry and walked away. But he saw that that verse of scripture that that portion of scripture, excuse me, was talking about Jesus. It was so clear and so vivid. And so here we have a beautiful type of Jesus Christ because Moses smites the rock, which is a type of Jesus Christ. When Christ was smitten, what happened? Uh, the Bible says the soldier took the spear, drove it in his side, forthwith came out blood and water. Okay, water. Um, and, and, and look at that. Jesus said, uh, he that believeth on me, as the, as the scripture has said, this is John chapter 7 in verse number 37, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You can read John 7 verses 37 to 39 uh, to find out what I just quoted. And so uh, when Christ was smitten, what happened? Forthwith came out blood and water. Um, he he sent his spirit back when he was resurrected from the dead and he ascended up into heaven. And so when he was smitten, water came out of him. Well, here, when the rock was smitten, water flowed out of it and it uh, caused the people to drink and they were satisfied. And and so there's many wonderful miracles in the wilderness that are a type of Jesus Christ. Another miracle that I remember that happens later here, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but um, the Bible says that the people began to complain and God sent serpents among them because they were complaining because God takes complaints very seriously and so serpents are sent and the and the serpents start to bite the people and some of the people start to die and they cry out to God and God is merciful to them and he tells Moses he said this is what you do take a brass serpent make a brass serpent set it up on a pole and if they look at the serpent when they're bitten they will be spared <clears throat> they will be healed and so this happens again this is another beautiful type of Calvary uh, why the serpent? Remember, the serpent is a type of sin. Go back in Genesis 3. A serpent deceived Eve, brought sin into the world. Okay? Well, when the serpent is set up on a pole, remember serpent being a type of sin. Remember, Paul said in the New Testament, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, who didn't know sin, became sin. He took our sin upon his back. Is a type of that serpent on the pole. When they looked to the serpent on the pole, they were healed. Let me just say this, that serpent, when a serpent bites you, which is sin, and you're infected with sin, the only thing that can spare you is to look to Calvary. Calvary is your only answer today. And I feel the Holy Ghost as I'm talking about this. The only answer that you have is Calvary. Look to Calvary today. Stop trying to depend on your own self to, to save you. You can try to go find an antidote for sin. There is no antidote for sin other than Calvary, other than the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's so many beautiful types of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, uh, 
of Calvary and of Jesus' work, his redemptive work in uh, the wilderness passages. And so you can also read that um, in the book of Numbers, you can read how that they came all the way to the promised land and they were about to go into the promised land and they sent 12 spies in and uh, 10 of the spies came back bringing an evil report saying we can never take this land, we can never take this land, even though God spoke to them and told them that they could take this land, even though the promise went all the way back to the time of Abraham, uh, yet they, they said we can never take this land, we can never take this land. And God told them, uh, you know, because you said this, I'm going to cut you off in the wilderness. This entire generation is going to die. Only your children are going to see the promised land because you doubted me. And But two of those uh, came back with a positive report, two of the 12. Now, 10 of the 12 came back with a negative report. Two of the 12 were named Joshua and Caleb. Two of those are going to play a very important role in future days in the Bible. Uh, but also, uh, something else I do want to mention briefly and we're going to talk about this in the next lesson. The next lesson is going to be all about Mount Sinai, and it's going to be all about the giving of the law and the tabernacle plan. You want to listen to this lesson. There is so much. It's an inexhaustible subject to talk about the law and to talk about the tabernacle plan. We're going to talk about all of that. When Moses goes to Sinai, I remember he said, you shall worship God on this mountain, when he appeared to him on the uh, the burning bush passage in Exodus chapter number 3. And so they're going to come back there, and God is going to uh, give him beautiful revelations of the law. He's going to give them the beautiful revelation of the tabernacle plan. We're going to talk about the golden calf incident. So all of that's going to be in the next lesson. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to study the word of God. I'm asking, Lord, that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that has not been baptized in Jesus' name, that has not applied the blood of Jesus to their life, that they would do that today because we cannot save ourselves. We must look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, for salvation. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Bible 101, Lesson 12. Uh, lesson 13, again, will be about the law, the tabernacle plan, the golden calf incident. So please tune into that. We have many exciting things coming up in future lessons, um, in, in future sessions of Bible 101. Uh, let me just talk about this. We have more guest lectures that's going to be done. Uh, those of you that enjoyed Eric Feeman's lesson on structure, he's going to be coming back and teaching again this coming Saturday uh, on uh, Wednesday of this week, we will be releasing an episode of an interview with Brother Dan Scott. Those of you that attend Truth Tabernacle know who that is. Pastor Davis's assistant, uh, excuse me, uh, administrative assistant, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about many wonderful things. He's pastored, he's evangelized, so we're going to be talking to him about that um, and many other things. So make sure you tune in to those sessions. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Uh, also, before I, I exit this, on Wednesday uh, of, excuse me, Thursday of this week, we will be doing an interview with Pastor Johnny McFall. He pastors a church in Arkansas, Saginaw, Arkansas, I believe it is. And uh, you will want to tune into this. More memories of Elder James Davis. Uh, we'll be asking him of his memories and, and uh, of when he first felt the call of God upon his life. So you want to tune into that. Uh, also, we've got many other things coming up. Those of you that enjoyed the roundtable discussion we had on creation versus evolution, there will be more of the same coming up in future sessions. So many exciting things. Uh, that are in the process. We've got all kinds of stuff cooking, so you want to keep listening. God bless you. Have a great day. In Jesus' name.
We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.